Greetings, everyone, and welcome to another installment of Innovation Crush. It's me, Chris Denson, your host, um, and we are doing this again. In case you guys are tuning in for the first time, this show covers all things innovation, ideas, creativity, smart people doing smart things, uh, and the book does not stop here. Uh, so I'm going to introduce my special guest co-host. Say hello, Bianca. Kirk. Hi there. Kirk. It's Carr, actually. It's no, Scottish. No. It's Scottish. How do you have a Scottish last name? Because I got Scottish ancestry. I know you can't tell looking at me half Indian, part English, Scottish, Canadian, South African, Venetian, Canadian, <laughs> Italian. I got, I really confuse people at the airport because I have an mm. Italian first name, Scottish last name, Canadian passport. So they just check your back every time just to be sure. Pretty much, pretty much. Like, ah, come in this room. Ah, oh, come on. <laughs> um, this is the first time I'm seeing you without a hat. That's, that's also weird. Yeah, I do wear the company hat a lot, but today it was a little. And the company being? Muserk. Yes. It is a uh, music licensing company. We source music from independent artists around the world, and then we license it to people like yourself, networks, production companies, anybody who's creating video content. I still want to create that uh, Denson sound library. You can. I'm going to go brrrr. I, I feel like we could work something Ching, ching, ching. <laughs> um, that was a cash register, by the way. The okay. whole the whole thing was a cash register. That was a cash register. Yeah. So every time that you would check out that is Yes, sound. exactly. No change. Right. Okay. Um so enough about you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I feel like you were so interested. Um, I can feel the interest. I'm genuinely interested. Okay, I'm, okay, okay. We'll come back to more interesting things Fair about enough. you. Um, but, uh, however, Roman, Sunder, say hello. Hola. Hello. You want to get into the mic a little bit? Or are you, just, are you, are you laid back Show chilling? Back. I, you know. Oh, see. Uh, I got to say, I was a little intimidated when I knew you were coming today because I was like, this guy's always stylish, you know. I, I try, but I was like, I, I went through about three outfit changes this morning because I was like, I got I to gotta stay on par. So I appreciate you toning it down this time, but still, still, you know, keeping it, keeping it together. Um, so give the people a little bit of a 101 on uh, who Roman Sunder is. Wow. Um, gosh, I'm, uh, I'm Russian originally. I'm a good from Russia. Um, What's going on here at this table? I feel like we're playing like, an, <laughs> what's that ancestry like, show with celebrities where it's like they find out like things that their ancestors have done like a hundred years ago and get really embarrassed. Right. Yeah. Oh yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it was bad for Ben. Your family owned slaves. Was, so, like they did? Yeah. Oh man, I'm sorry. Uh, all right, so you're Russian, yes? Yeah, and our Continue. family immigrated, like a lot of families. We had like less than a hundred dollars and I grew up in LA in Orange County. And uh, hustled like a lot of people. And um, I lived in New York for a while, so I'm back here in L.A. now. Nice. Um, how old were you when your family made the move? I was six. Nice. Yeah. Uh, do you have? Did you go back? Do you have memories of, you know, the, the early days? Like, what are your some of your Russian memories? Yeah. Uh, wow. Some of, like... None of the kids ever wanted to sleep over at my house because we had Russian food for breakfast, which was like <laughs> like the last kind of food you ever want to eat in the breakfast. In for more, in the bre What's Russian breakfast? It's like pickled herring. It's like tomatoes with onions. It's nothing like you ever want to eat hmm. unless you had to grow up with it. So everyone else kind of slept over at the other kid's house that had like McDonald's in the morning. Nice. Well, I mean, I've had borscht. I had a Russian friend growing up, and uh, I mean, I had it when I had my wisdom teeth out, so that's that's, <laughs> that's why I had it. <laughs> but it's not that bad. I all I know is Pruviet. That's all that's I good. got. That's good. That's good. And lo and love and love and love. Lubov. Lubov. 
Okay. I'm completely outranked. I, don't, I, <laughs> no, I have no Russian it. references, I'm, especially culinary references. <laughs> um, but So I'm going to skip ahead um, to your current day uh, a few years later. Now um, the founder, creator, CEO, I don't know what title you go by for Patal. Which I like to quietly pronounce patui, just because it's fun to <laughs> patui, especially because I, I freestyle in the shower. Yeah, um, and I spit hot. Never mind. Um, <laughs> no, but tell us a little bit about Patal and that as an organization, as a movement, as I'd like to look at it as, um, and you know, just your kind of your vision on it thus far. I and mean, we'll, we'll ask you some more questions. Yeah, I mean, first of all, thanks for taking an interest in it, <laughs> and I was so like so stoked to come on the show. Appreciate it. Um, you had me sweating. I was the one that came in here sweating. What are you talking I, about? I just got here. I got here early. I even, had, I even kept my hat on because I haven't had a haircut. And I, like, this is probably the first time I've recorded a show with a hat on. Now, uh, yeah, so, um, you didn't have to tell anyone that, though. I like to paint a visual for the audience okay, so they know enough. what's going on. Yeah. Um, so, gosh, I mean, Patel was just a passion project. Um, it was never supposed to be a company. Uh, and I think the reason why we started it was because there was nowhere else to go. You know, something kind of grown up in Orange County is that you're always around like surf culture and action sports culture. And um, just found that is kind of in my entrepreneurial career, like I've always attracted to like youth culture, whether it was music or whether it was fashion or whether it was sports or whatever it was. And um, everywhere I went, like whether it was like a, um, an advertising age or like a business event or like a women's wear daily or yep. like even like a fast company. I felt like it was like just the wrong people talking about the wrong things. It was so corporate and it was so com commercial. And um, and then there's no community because like the person that was, you know, on stage speaking like spoke and then everyone else was trying to pitch them something and right. they never came what back. Is the, what is the wrong person talking about the wrong thing? I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a good point, but I want, uh, like, I would love for you to like explain a little bit more uh, like to, from that perspective. To me, it's somebody that just wants to be on a stage. You right. know, someone looking for attention, you know, so for me uh, or to highlight their role or, or for PR purposes, you know, for me, I think that life's about storytelling, you know, and so a lot of the best storytellers are the ones that don't want to go in front of everybody else. So like a big part of our jobs is like searching out talent and searching out those storytellers. And instead of giving like their boilerplate PR or public persona, like let's get like into the nerve. And let's get a little uncomfortable because that's where the truth is. Right. Right. It's not like polished for made for TV. Pushing the envelope. Well, Patel, is, I mean, the environment in and of itself is foreign to most people. Right. And and I would love for you to, to talk about that. But I, I think about the that discomfort that you just talked about is really interesting because it does shake you out of your comfort zone, like literally. And so. Now you're kind of starting from scratch in some ways. Um, and I know you guys have worked with Navy SEALs and brought them on board, made people do crazy stuff. But, you know, kind of explain like the environment and how you kind of break that, you know, that shell of people kind of just coming out with their truth. Yeah. Um, you know, the, for us, even the reason why it exists, I think, has a purpose because all of us need like a mission in our lives. And our mission was that. If you look at like the global population, 60% of it is under 30. And when you look at developing countries like India and Africa um, and Asia, it's up to 70% in some regions. And so, you know, that's just crazy because when you also look at our culture and look, look, look at the headlines of the New York Times or the Wall Street Journal, 
it's all like the Snapchats and the Instagrams and the GoPros. It's like, you know, like youth culture is like a, before it was a silent majority before social media, but now it's like a silent, a vocal majority, you know, so vocal that not only companies are being overthrown, but look what's happening around the world with the revolutions, like countries are getting overthrown by young people. So we just thought, can we swear on this show? Yeah, you can swear all you want to. We just thought it was fucked up. <laughs> Do more. Keep going. Uh, we just thought it was we messed up. We appreciate potty mouth. <laughs> that the future of our global population, the future of our culture, the future of our economy is in the hands of this next generation. But how could there be no, like, no Davos for the head people and companies, not just of countries, but like of the, you know, the Samsungs and of the... Um, GoPros and of the kind of Virgin Galactics, right. you know, um, and a lot of the members like, you know, corporate, corporate organizations, CEOs and CMOs have more influence and impact than a lot of global heads of state. If you're the below, if you're below like the 15th global head of state, then like the CMO of MasterCard actually has like a bigger impact on like what's happening in payment systems around the world versus right. like the president of Portugal. <laughs> that's very true. Yeah, and I mean, that's an interesting perspective. How did you, because it sounds like you're getting to the root of global culture, and but through the lens of marketers and brands, um, kind of explain that combination because it's not, it, you know, it's it's not the first thing you think of when you think about global change, right, and how to change culture. But the fact that you're taking Mastercard or Coca-Cola and Sean White, and like, all right, here's like, go for it. Yeah. Um. So, you know, one of the unique things that I've been able to do. As I, was, I was part of this organization called Movements.org where we actually found 30 of the largest leaders of uh, movements against violence and oppression, right? So what that means is the largest movement that ever happened was in Colombia uh, called Million Voices Against the FARC, led by Oscar Morales, where it helped uh, 2 million people protested in Bogota, um, 12 million people across the world to help um, lead to the downfall of the FARC, which are the communist rebels in Colombia. It was because of that, now uh, the communist rebels don't have nearly as much power as they did. We brought together 30 people like that from uh, Tahir Square to, wow. uh, to uh, and the Shahab Six movement, all the way to uh, what was happening in Saudi Arabia and women's right to drive. And so we kind of saw like where the movement was happening, and a lot of the movement was happening was with corporations, whether it was the Twitters or whether it was the Facebooks or whether it was the Cokes or whether, whether, whether it was the MasterCards. The presidents were just stuck in, like, of countries um, and their state departments are just kind of stuck in bureaucracy and they actually reach out to the private sector and say we know that we don't have the organization or the staying power or the um, resources to be able to make the type of impact in such a quick amount of time that right. companies can so we believe that it's companies that are going to change the world not countries um, and so if that's the case then a lot of companies just don't get it you know so instead of us the, and so our job is to kind of like try to create this kind of global missionary culture to big companies, you know, and have them kind of see the world from a different perspective. It's not a silver bullet, but, like, I'd rather preach to the unindoctrinated right. than preach to the choir. Like, it's easy to preach to the choir. Like, everyone's drinking that Kool-Aid. But for me, it's people that, like, have huge impact, but that don't get it, that are, like, super, that's where, for me, like, the mood, like, where the action is. Um, Does that make sense at all? No, it totally makes sense. I'm, I'm curious where, like, how you find the fit between these companies that often will have different self-interest 
in maybe different countries, where's that fit? Like, how do you sort of decide how the pieces all fit together at a, at a conference or creating those connections between the CEO of, of MasterCard or, and the head of Coca-Cola? Yeah, you know, it's, um, gosh, our commonalities bind us more than our differences. Um, and so for us, it's never about, you know, so like what we do is a little bit of a Jedi mind trick <laughs> um, in the sense that we don't ever lead with like big brands or logos. You know, if you look at a, a logo like GE, you don't really think of like Beth Comstock or Linda, like they're just the sweetest women uh, and most compassionate women. And when you think of a company like Coke, you think like of Emmanuel, you know, you don't think of the big logo. Um, and so for us, it's really about creating friendships. You know, we kind of take, we kind of create a disarming environment so that people don't like come out with like puffed up chaps, chests that I'm like the CEO of, like whatever. It's like, who cares? We live like in a different culture. Right. You know, what I care about is, um, you know, there's this, I'm sure there's this 95% backstory to your life that's put you in this position. And that's one of hustle and one of creativity and one of doing things differently. So we first try to connect with people like at their heart like and create friendships and that's our biggest job and that's our biggest compliment right when people say things about patel or about worlds it's really about wow i felt like there was like a community you know because once you're able to connect with people's hearts and you connect with their souls then only then can you connect with their mind it sounds you know it sounds great. <laughs> um, and I think about like in, in practice, right? Especially because I, li I like to think about the, the journey from idea to actuality. You know, if you had this vision after being involved with movements and you're going, all right, I think I can get a few companies to come together and a few artists and celebrities to all intermingle and governments and all this. Thing. Like, what are the steps uh, or what's in your background that actually makes you the guy to, to actually, you know, to do it at such a you know, such a high-performing level. Yeah, well, uh, first of all, I never thought it should be me. <laughs> and What if, makes you so special? Yeah. <laughs> um, and if, honestly, if it existed, I would have probably joined if I, if I could get in. Right. Um, but, you know, if not me, then who? You know, there's no one else that was doing it. And, um, and I think it is kind of really cool that, you know, what was one of my weaknesses when I was younger, when I was Russian, and I was like 14 in elementary, like in junior high, and, like, I was, like, a little bit of an outsider, and that made me different. Like, in my high school of 2,000 kids, there were, like, two African-American guys and two Jewish kids. Um, you can guess Shout out one. to those guys. <laughs> yeah, you, you can guess which one <laughs> I was. Where are they now? <laughs> right. Um, and so it's um, – I just felt like being a, an outsider and being different, you know, gives me a perspective of the underdog a little bit. Right. So I think, like, me and my our team kind of come at it from that perspective. So – I think we're leading, doing it for the right reasons. Um, and that's one of, you know, we're not, uh, it's not revenue driven. It's really mission driven. Um, so I, I think that's the major reason why we're, we're kind of the right ones. And then growing up, my, my background is I've worked in finance and I've worked in social impact organizations. I've been an entrepreneur a couple of times. So I feel I've got this kind of unique perspective. Sometimes I see things from a global perspective. Other times just the hustle perspective right. of getting a company or project started. You know, whenever you put, I remember our first event, like I was afraid if I would have nightmares, like would anyone actually show up? <laughs> no, yeah, that's a, I have that every time I get ready to record one of these shows. Yeah, I have that every time I have a friend over. <laughs> but, it, but it's interesting. Like hustle is, is an interesting thing. You don't necessarily associate hustle with Orange County. Right. <laughs> like, you know, so where was that instilled in you as a quality, as a skill, as a passion, you know, um, and, and how did it come to life? Yeah, uh, gosh, I think uh, hustle was instilled 
in me through failure. You know, just failure sucks. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I don't want to do this anymore. <laughs> you know? And uh, I remember when I tried to get my first job, I applied to 73 um, investment banks, and I got rejected by 74. I got two rejection letters from J.P. Morgan. <laughs> they really didn't we, like we, you. Seriously, like, Roman, we do not want you here. Twice. <laughs> <laughs> Don't show up. <laughs> um, and then I remember. Has my, J.P. Morgan shown up to your uh, to any of your events? Actually, like, yeah, the, the Kristen Lemcat, who's the <laughs> she doesn't know this yet. Oh, now <laughs> she will. Now she probably will. Gets out of the bag. Um, and she's she's great. Um, I'm just waiting for the right time. Um, and then my second time that I failed was um, I tried to get a job at MTV. Like that was my dream to work at MTV, but you know I couldn't even get a PA job there. And uh, so and so now Bob Pittman is part of our group, which is kind of cool. <laughs> right. right. I was a PA for MTV Canada, so. Just saying, I don't know what my trajectory looks like. <laughs> yeah, it's looking good. <laughs> yeah, but that was Canada. No, I'm just kidding. I, not to poop on Canada. Because everybody wants to go there now. That's um, yeah. uh, We'll get into that later. But <laughs> but no, that, I mean, that, that that's great. So it was kind of like, I don't like this feeling. I'm going to keep trying to find it. And I think that's also grit, right? It's also the ability to apply 70 plus times to, you know, for jobs. Yes, it's necessity, obviously. But at the same time, it's like, you know, being adaptive and being able to explore other avenues. I mean, you know, my early career was definitely, I did the PA thing. I worked at Paramount. Um, and then like when that, then I got my first writing job and then I had just come from Michigan. So I got fired from my writing job. They fired the entire writing staff. And I was like, you can just fire people like that. That's not cool. <laughs> and so, uh, and I just ended up like trying to do other things mainly to make sure I had food on the table, but that's kind of where the hustle came from was like, I'm going to be as adaptable as I need to be to survive um and you know you've been able to see that from uh, some from very different perspectives from an immigrant's perspective from a finance perspective from you know global culture perspective um and, and speaking of global culture look at my transitions uh worlds <laughs> see how i did that everybody wow that. That, that really yeah impressive. can i get some applause or... yeah his arms oh, are wow. out <laughs> like, you should be in here. You should see this. Doing a circle clap. <laughs> yeah, oh, nice. That, that's fancier than I expected. Um, but let's talk about worlds because Patau has kind of evolved or, you know, grown into a, a second event. But you can explain it probably far better than I can. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's new. So, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, steering our course and trying. Worlds trying with a Z, by the way. With it's a like Z. little hip hop. That's in right. There. That's right. With a Z. Yes. Oh, yes. yes. Nice. <laughs> Good shout out. Um, so there are two separate companies. Right. So Patau, it's a small community. It's only 250 people and it's only been capped and it expands all 70 industries. And to be a member, you have to be the CEO or the CMO of a top five company in your industry or a cultural iconic person, whether it's a Kelly Slater for Surf or a Sean White, as you mentioned. Um, or Chris Denson. Or Chris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, what our, our mission is, is really simple, like um, in terms of mission, missions, like what do you guys people ask us all the time? What do you do? Right. What happens? And we help create these projects and these collaborations that have never been done before. We call it doing the NBDB. So, uh, for example, we'll help a partner, iHeart, with Discovery, with GoPro to create the platform for Racing Extinction, which was like the number one social impact movie of the year. Uh, we'll help Janelle Monet partner with Pepsi to kick off the Super Bowl halftime show. Um, and so... It's all about action. Like we don't think that like ideas are good enough unless you can actually attach it to your business, or else you're gonna forget about it. Right. Right. So what we found is when these projects were happening, 
that it was actually their teams, not the C-level executives, that are actually doing the work. True. The C-level executives are like just blessing the deals <laughs> and moving on. Um, and then it's actually their teams, kind of the directors, the VPs, the SVPs, that are actually doing the heavy lifting. And we're like, like we need those people. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> How do we get those people? Because with Patel's intimacy, it's only 250. So we need to play, create a place that's for Patel members and their teams. Got it. Cool. So that's what Worlds is. And so that's why we think that Worlds is kind of like Patel on steroids. Because... <laughs> So, so from an actuality perspective, right, when, you know, when you, when I walk into the doors of worlds, what am I going to see, feel, do that's distinctively different what? from, you know, from Patel? Yeah. I mean, first you might cross a bridge. You might not even go through a door. Oh, Ooh. all right. A, a how about a moat? Maybe a tunnel? Yeah, yeah exactly. Underground? <laughs> might crawl under yeah. barbed wire? <laughs> yeah. Okay, you have no. to go through the Navy SEAL course first <laughs> just to get in. No, but it's cool. So, it's, I mean, it is like it, every bit of it is an experience. It's kind of, is that kind of the, the goal? Yeah, I mean, our job is kind of create your, like, best business day on earth. Right. Can't <laughs> compete with the personal day. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. But the business we can. <laughs> um, uh, why, so Patel has been around for, what, seven years, eight yeah, years? Yeah, we're going to our eighth year. Um, it's, why, now, why is now the time for a world in your world? Believe it or not, it's taken us seven years to just get Patel right. <laughs> and that's been like, I've never worked on, hard, on something and our team's never worked on something like more than that. Like we have like more obsession, we put in more hours, we're more focused than ever. And it's still taken us like seven years, <laughs> you know? Uh, uh, and with Worlds, it, it, we felt like it was like we finally have enough structure and stability. What constitutes getting it right? Because it sounds like, I mean, every article or thing that i've read or heard about is like it sounds like it was right you know a few years back um but you know i think as a leader sometimes you get like a little bit of perfection vision or there's something that you want to tweak just you know what is what was you know what were the things that you wanted to sort of tweak and make right and before you felt like you could take that breath yeah i mean i i think like a lot of people you know one of the one of the cool things that you know, our team gets to see is we get to work with some of the most like inspiring and successful people. And so there's certain commonalities. That commonality is like what I kind of call like going off, which is like OHF. If you have your obsession in a healthy way and you find and you put in more hours than anybody else and you're focused, like you can be your hero. Right. And so for us to really do that, especially on focus, if we lost, like I meet so many entrepreneurs, they got like four or five companies. I can barely do one. You know? <laughs> right, right. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. You know, so for us, it really has taken us like seven years where we can move some of our focus and our team to doing something else rather than delivering the most inspiring experience for the most influential and jaded people in the world. <laughs> it's very true. Jaded. So, it, that. no, that's great. Cause it's, but that's interesting, right? Because, you know, the, the person who's building the four or five companies, you know, usually they're building something that's on autopilot and it's a product or service that, you know, hopefully if you do it right, it's passive income and starts to work on its own um but in your work because it's such an it's such a human element to it and you're like literally touching people you know emotionally literally, i don't know about physically are you literally touching i don't know um i you don't have to confess anything on this show um but no i, th I think that human perspective means that it takes a little bit more care Right, is that that level of intimacy that you want to create? Um, what do you feel like has been your biggest success 
so far in, the, in either Patel or Worlds. I know Worlds hasn't happened yet, but um, you know, what do you feel like is like, ah, huh, it's kind of our crown jewel moment. Um, wow, there, there's been a couple. There's been a couple moments that like I don't really believe in luck. Like I believe you put yourself in a position to get a break. Luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Exactly. Just wrote it in a pitch yesterday. <laughs> so we, we've had a couple of moments like that. Um, like one of our moments is when it was it was a passion project. Patel was a passion project for two years, and then we weren't going to do it. And I had this really chance meeting with the Dalai Lama's emissary for peace. And because of that, it took it still wasn't going to happen. And then through this serendipitous, unbelievable thing, like we ended up getting His Holiness to come to Patel in our third year. If that didn't happen, like things could have been very different in my life and with our job, you know, with our company. Right. So that was definitely uh, a moment. And then even this year was like a moment where we got um, Michael Bloomberg to come down. And now like the moment is that we get so many people, a little bit like Alan and company, just kind of make a little like a like a kind of their trip to, to Patel and kind of be with us and now kind of having that stability is probably the, the second success moment for us which happened this year that's awesome knowing somebody's going to show up time. <laughs> right. exactly. you're not like holding the balloons like waiting for the yeah and, and, and it's not like we're it's not like they're <laughs> balloons <laughs> I don't know I'm just picturing S- someone, twirlers. At, someone at like a birthday party and nobody shows up like nice. just like go. a sad birthday party balloon starts to deflate slowly <laughs> um and um by the way, we do have like a forty-person ambassador team that does have balloons, so you'd be really happy to see. See, I did oh. my I did You're my right research. <laughs> did you? You like went to the balloon store when yesterday? When preparation met opportunity. <laughs> Such a lucky. <laughs> right. Um. Uh. I was gonna do a Dolly Parton joke with the Dolly, but then it, the time has passed, so I'm gonna I'll, I'll I'll forego that. Um. Why do you care so much? You know, a lot of people have ideas like that. And I've had tons of conversations with people who attend conferences and be like, oh, I wish they did this or I wish they I wish this happened. Um, and they might be entrepreneurs. But like, why did you care enough to like, you know, put blood, sweat, tears and you know your reputation on, on the line for it? Yeah. I mean, my thing is that it's kind of that old saying It's like it's not what you do or what you say. It's like how you make people feel. You know, and I love it that when people have an interaction with me or our team, like I want them to have a positive feeling about that. And um, because that can open up like this kind of like this hope and opportunity and kind of a mind shift for people, especially that are in kind of their own tunnels and their own rabbit hole. Um, Now, to be able to do that with the most influential people in the world and help steer the decision that they make for the right reasons is a huge honor and a responsibility. So it's actually something that we have to do. Like it's not something we can even just choose not to do anymore. And that's kind of what I talk about with our team is that, you know, if not, you know, if, it, if we didn't do it, there wouldn't be anyone else. And if it was fostered by somewhere else, somebody else, they wouldn't have the perspective to do it. There really isn't anyone else to do this other than us. So we really have to, we have that sense of responsibility. And I, I try to make things pretty dramatic, but it's like when someone is going to save the future of the world, of the world <laughs> I'm not saying we are. I'm just saying that we, every, every person like has the potential to have their energy impact what happens like every day. Right. Um, and for us to be able to do that for people is like, what else, that there's nothing else we'd rather do with our time. Um, I've seen you out and about South by Southwest, CES. Um, 
how are you perceived outside of Patel, right? Because, you know, A, you have to probably pitch it to some people who don't know what it is. Um, B, you know, and then it sounds like a conference, right? You have to like, uh, and especially if you're trying to attract that person or that entity to it. But I've also kind of seen like what what appeared to be like the royal carpet rolled out for Roman in, in a sense. Because there's, but, uh, but I would imagine there's a high level of respect for, you know, what you've been able to do through, you know, your, your endeavors. But, you know, what is what is your personal brand look like outside of Patel when you're in these other environments? Well, I, I don't even, honestly, like, I never even think about that. Like, I think if I grateful enough and super grateful just to get an invite to go anywhere i think of more i think of like when we host people like how we can treat them like heads of state like we try to treat everyone we meet like they're a head of state um to let them know that they have powers superpowers beyond themselves you know so um i I more think about like how to treat other people than like how other people treat me honestly i don't even um think about it um, you're a pretty amazing guy. No, you're gonna no. start getting a lot of Facebook invitations from Chris exactly. to like all of his events. He's like, "Hey, you wanted an invitation? You're honored." He says you'd be like, grateful. Come on. I, I said to be grateful. I didn't say I would show up. <laughs> um, but you know, I think some. I'm gonna go back to your childhood for a second because I think about when some kids grow up awkward. You know, kind of feeling awkward, feeling misplaced. Um, they don't turn out the right way or the way we would want them to right uh, bad things happen suicide depression you know um it feels like that very easily could have happened given your set of circumstances what was it that kind of kept you on the positive side of uh, you know of roman sunder well i mean i think that it's uh, i think for all of us for a lot of people that a lot of it has to do with your family and um and my mom and my sister, uh, they've been every single Patel thing that we've done. Um, and part of like thing we did this year at Patel was kind of for my mom. Because I even think about like these iconic people that I've met, like the people that have impressed me the most. And it's really kind of been my mom. Like my mom was 29 years old and she was like a happy and hopeful young woman. And one day because of like the... Um, the bigotry, the anti-Semitism, the hopelessness in Russia, she decided to, with like no language, with like no money, um, to go to another country and to go to another land with literally nothing. Like to me, that's like a harrowing journey, right? Yeah. And so I think if it wasn't for my mom and like her resilience, like she, she's like kind of like my role model, kind of my hero in that sense. And so I'm like, I'm still, I don't see how she's done her stuff. And so what we do is just like work and I get to go to a meeting like and hang out here and that's work. Like for her work was like having to like be an engineer and like learn the language. Right. You're like every parent's dream right now. You're just like, <laughs> my boy. I just love my mom. <laughs> I owe her everything. You're my hero. No, it's super sweet. I mean, like. It's amazing. But yeah. yeah, I mean, resiliency, it seems like that's kind of a thread, right? Just, you know, whether it's the 70 plus applications or the seven, eight years of like, let me try to get this right, you know, um, and like now let's create something completely different or in, in tandem. Um, there's definitely a lot of resiliency that has to be had in, in, in that journey. Yeah, and Chris, I mean, the thing is, is that honestly, it's not even my story. It's like, it's the only commonality to people's stories for success. Like the biggest thing that I think that people will discover over a world is the secrets for success. You know, and those secrets aren't so secret. But the problem is with our culture right now is that everyone sees everyone's highlight reels on social media. Headline porn. 
you know? <laughs> yeah. And it's FOMO. like, mm-hmm. it's like whether it's a great TED speaker that's already like intimidating because they're a TED speaker and then they say how great they are, or whether it's an athlete or an artist saying they're already intimidating because they're an artist and people are like, oh, look at this person. And then they talk about how great they are. I think instead, like every one of them, if you kind of pull back the onion, will say that like I had insecurities and I was different and I had a lot of failure but I just had this like really passion and this obsession and nothing was going to get in my way. And like when you sit down with the Rob Dyrdek, he'll tell you the same story. When you talk with Sean White, he'll talk about when he was like the tomato and like what people thought about him when mm-hmm. he was snowboarding. And when you talk about Kelly Slater, the family that he grew up in. And when you think, when you talk about, you know, so many different like iconic people, they actually have like a tougher road than most people that I meet that are just like day to day. It's so true. I, you know, I've done 130 plus of these things, you know, conversations, and a good majority of them have like some tremendous pain points. You know, one guy fractured his spine, like the week he started his company and had a bunch of people, re- you know, relying on him. Sugar Ray Leonard talked about how he was molested, you know, as a tween. Um, you know, Michelle Thaller from NASA was bullied as a kid. Now she's like the deputy communications director of NASA. Like, you know, it's, there is it is this interesting duality you know to create these superheroes yeah. like bruce wayne and you know gets his parents killed and now he's batman it's true i mean actually another big commonality of the most successful people is that they have a chip on their shoulder something happened in their youth that gave them this chip on their shoulder and they have something to prove yeah and so it's kind of this adage people see like these billionaires and they're like oh they've got it made like honestly i wouldn't want to be born a billionaire like there's only one way to go from there. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh no, you have all, you hear of all these like horror stories of all these problems behind the scene, and you're like, I don't know if I want that. Like, <laughs> well, that's the other thing. It's, it's the perception of whether it's abundance or success, right. you know. And I'm I'm curious. Have you? I'm sure you probably have come across it, but um, the av- the person who didn't have the you know the traumatic incident or the traumatic circumstances. You know, what can they learn from, you know, a Sean White's success or, you know, whomever it is that's on that stage. It's like, this is what, this is, you know, this is the shitty part of what, you know, my experience. And this is the chip on my shoulder. And this is how I flipped it. Um, but if I, you know, had a re- relatively mediocre upbringing, like, where does that passion or that tool or switch for success come? Yeah, I would say that it's one, like, the most important thing by far is find your obsession. Right. Because when you find your obsession and it becomes part of your life, when you talk to like a Tony Hawk, he'll say, because of his, look, look at Muhammad Ali, because of his obsession for his craft, they can be champions in their lives. You know? And so the most important thing is find that obsession. And then, especially if it's unpopular, because like right now, if you're a baseball player and you found out your obsession was to be a baseball player, like there's a lot of other baseball players to compete against. Yeah. But if you're Tony Hawk and your obsession is skateboarding and there's no other skateboarders and it's illegal, then you become like a Tony Hawk, right? And now there's more skateboarders than there are like youth baseball players. <laughs> right? So do things that are unpopular. Also, just because something's unpopular and your friends tell you no or that's stupid, like that's like generally a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> I get told I'm stupid all the time. Stupid. <laughs> well, <You> dummy. Oh. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll caveat two things. <laughs> asterisks, just a little exactly. two <laughs> disclaimer. Two really important asterisks. Um, one is when you find your obsession, make sure it's something that you could actually generate revenue out of at some point. Right. So, for instance, if your obsession, like Mike Bloomberg actually said, if your obsession is to create a garage door opener that only works from 2,500 miles away, 
like like is that really like useful right <laughs> like even if you do obsess over it like is anyone gonna buy it right so is anyone ever gonna pay for what you're doing right that's a really important question someone has to ask themselves after they say they're obsessed like some I meet a lot of people that say like what what are you good at and they say I'm a relationship person I'm like okay like like how are you gonna be the best in the world at that would kind of be my second question. right uh, and my second point is um, the five people that you surround yourself with. And you're a product of two things in your life. And one is the things that you let into your ears. And two are the five people you surround yourself with. And so I don't think anyone in your life has the permission to give you like negative things in your life, whether it's your parents or whether it's your family members or your coworkers. Mm -hmm. Right? So you really need to curate your life. So you have this balance of these five friends that kind of compile like who you are. And two, you know, if you look at, if you read the six o'clock news every day, like you're going to become like the six o'clock news. You know, it's the six o'clock murder report. It's the six o'clock, whatever it is. Yeah. And all of a sudden you're projecting to everyone that you meet, like what happened in Turkey or what happened in Nice. Like you can't not look at you can't not deal with that and absorb it. But you also need to f find a way to really impact everyone you come in contact with in a, in a positive way as well. That's amazing. And uh, I think that's spot on. I, you know, I go back to the first point and I think about the idea that, um, you know, you need the 2,500 foot, you know, garage door opener idea. Some of us do, right? Because you, because when that fails and then you have the second idea is like, okay, you're showing that the trial and error part of it is okay. Cause some people hit the one failure and it is so, you know, they're so repulsed by it that they don't do anything else. Um, and I've seen friends of mine do that, you know, you know like, ah, that, that was very uncomfortable. I'm never going down that road again, period. Versus like, keep going. And eventually you'll, you know, you'll find a new, a new obsession. Right. Yeah. I mean, like I love quotes and so for me like that favorite quote is like Winston Churchill who's like one of my heroes and it's like success is going from failure to failure without losing any enthusiasm it's those people that get like really excited about getting a no do you like what's wrong with them they're the ones that succeed yeah <laughs> I refer to myself as relentlessly optimistic like I'm just like oh well what if we did it this way no well, what if we did that um Bianca do you have a favorite quote do I have a favorite quote no I should have come with one I'm not. I, he's just been spitting fire know, all day. So I'm like, I was like. I, my dad will be really upset because one of his, you know, he uses quotes all the time from Winston Churchill. The only one that came to mind was something about like, it was something about how you get drunk at a bar. It, drunk at a bar, like tomorrow I'll, I'll, you'll still be ugly or something. I knew I was going to butcher it. Like, it's like, I may be, I, I may be drunk, ma'am, but tomorrow you'll still be ugly and tomorrow I'll be sober. Like, I've got one. <laughs> I'll give you one. Of, I'll give you one of mine. Okay, thanks. Um, especially since you know India. Um, <laughs> now it's about to be racial. India. No. <laughs> but Just, it's a Dalai Lama quote. Okay. And it's uh, not getting what you want is a wonderful stroke of luck. Ah. Hmm. Preparedness. All right. Love. So you've obviously absorbed. You're well read. Well, yeah, listen, you're a good listener. Um, I was gonna say well listened, but that wouldn't make that doesn't make sense. Um, <laughs> the show is called Innovation Crush. Um, I'm curious as to what's out there that you actually have a innovation crush on. It may be something that you see a lot of stuff from brands and from, you know, um, influential people, but maybe there's something that's all, you know, kind of all outside of the Patel walls or within it. Uh, you, you, you tell me, like, I'm, I'm curious as to what your innovation crush is. Yeah. I mean, my innovation crush is, I didn't think about it before, but I'm glad you asked me that. That's such a good question. Um, is I go for the heart right away. So how can, I don't think of marketing, I don't think of media, I don't think of industries, I just think we're humans, right? So all that really means, how can you like hit our heart? 
So when I think of heart, I actually think the best way you can connect through people's heart is like what I call like the, or not I call, but an industry, like alternative reality experiences, like these AR alternative reality games. It's kind of a little bit like what's happening with Pokemon. Right. Um, but in a, a very different way. A better example, one of my favorite examples, if you, ever, if you guys ever saw that, that book back in the, or the movie back in the day called The Game mm-hmm. with Michael Douglas. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Is that, the, that like you're kind of this star in the movie, but you don't know it, but everyone else is kind of conspiring to create these like epic moments for you? They're kind of doing another movie like that with... Uh... Uh, the Franco. Yeah, it's like brother. never something. Yeah. I, I saw the poster at the. Yeah, they the follow like a game and they win points till the end and it's like dangerous. They might die. Sounds like kind of like the game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Hopefully you don't die though. Yeah. Actually, the poster is pretty creative. It's, it's actually like it's your vision if you were looking out from inside a screen. So there's two people looking at you. All the copy is written backwards. I think Emma so, Roberts is in it. Yeah. As well. yeah, yeah. It's pretty, it's it's pretty, pretty cool. Yeah, I mean that's the kind of stuff that I love. My friend actually proposed to his fiance at the, or girlfriend at the time, now his wife, through doing this alternate reality. Is that when they arrived, um, they were actually um, they went to New York for this kind of day of honeymoons or this this day, and they first had l- lunch at the Standard Grill, and sitting next to them was this couple, fake couple, they're actors, and they're saying they just got a call from like the local like Kiss FM station and saying they got tickets to like their favorite artist, uh, which was. Um, chili Peppers, Anthikides, and it was Anna's. That's kind of his girlfriend. That's her favorite band. And they, these fake actors, said, "Oh, we can't go because we have other plans. Who should we give them to?" And they said it loud enough for Anna to start freaking out. At the table <laughs> and they go, up. and then they go, oh, "Look, it looks like you might. Do you know the Red Hot Chili Peppers?" She's like, "Oh my God, have they're my favorite band." Have you heard of them before? They're this really obscure band. She said right. they're my favorite band. And so they go, "Well, since you love them so much, why don't you take our tickets?" Right. So now they get these tickets and imagine like that. And so they move on and then they see like a limo pull up and a guy that looks like he's been partying till 5 a.m. gets out of the limo and goes, oh, you look like such a beautiful couple. I've got this limo for another eight hours. Why don't you guys take it for the rest of the day? <laughs> nice. <laughs> just having to have this limo for the next eight hours. <laughs> Your then, friend just is ruining relationships for everybody right, right now. Yeah. And then they, end up, they end up uptown uh, in Central Park at the boathouse and uh, someone they run into says, I used to work on the street. They run into him to Paul, who's the boyfriend, and they said, um, I used to work for you, and because you, with Anna there, I used to work for you, you gave me such a generous bonus that you allowed me to marry my wife. <laughs> and I don't know any other way to thank you. Can I meet you to go to like this oak room at the for, at the, the plaza to, to buy you a drink at least? And they do, and then the, like that's where this, like the, the proposal happened. And so that to me is like an that's example of like, ima- like for me, Imagine what can you do to create the most memorable day on earth for somebody. Like what did that you do for the wedding, my... then I just like set the bar so. It was a three-day wedding in St. Bart's. It was <laughs> okay, there, there, there we go. There we go. There we go. Um, and that's my innovation crush. That's awesome. I'm really curious about you mentioned the the five people that you keep. You know, the, you keep around you and, and sort of listen in your ear. Uh, do you, who are your five people? Yeah, I mean, my five are Paul, that guy. Um, yeah, friend, keep him. Jason, <laughs> Jason in New York, Eric in Orange County, um, Bobby here in L.A., and Sean here in L.A., and that's five, and then I got other friends. That, and your mom. That, and then my mom. And your mom. Awesome. Um, take this all in. Let's all spree the conversation in for a second. Right, everybody? Yeah. Um, and complete this phrase for me. Innovation to me is... 
Oh, it's my turn. Your turn. Uh, innovation to me is uh, changing perception. Mm, that's good. I like it. How do we how do we look at things differently for the first time? Whether it's transportation, travel, social giving. How do we I like look that. How do we look at things differently for the first time? Because mm-hmm. we look at things so much so often. Yeah. Like, how do you find? Actually, one of my part of my tattoo says, "Change the way you look at things, and the things you look at will begin to change." Oh. And it's just like that. That's Beautiful. like a principle I live by. Is like, all right, how can I think about this yeah. moment, this thing, this problem differently from a different perspective? Yeah. And I mean, understand it and make other people. That's the struggle, I think, is making other people true see what you're seeing differently, and sort of it's almost like one of those. Uh, you know, those images that change and then when it changes, you can't not see it that way yep. anymore. I kind of feel like it's when you change somebody's perception, they all of a sudden, they're like, how did I not see that before? Why did I not think of that? Why that we were doing this in this way? Or when I even think of something yeah. like Uber, you know, for the longest time, we only imagined a certain way for transportation and now we couldn't imagine not having that in our, in our well, pockets. that happens like even in human performance, right? Like you, you think about the first person to break a five minute mile, you know, it was thought that it was humanly impossible right. to run any faster. And then once someone did it, like thousands of people did it. Or and hit it, a high note. Right. Exactly. You couldn't imagine. Yeah. You couldn't imagine somebody being able to sort of have that range. Um, now, Roman, you've had some time to think. Innovation to me is. Well, I was thinking like your example is so good because I remember like living in New York, like all the bridges open up, you know, so boats can pass through them. But in Buenos Aires, they open to the side. Ah. You know, so it's like yeah. you're right. If you just see things in a different way, there's like so many ways of like doing that. Totally. I, I love that. Um, for me, innovation, like I think of like who the biggest innovators are, like an Astro Teller, like a Google X. And um, one, you know, what we call – doing the NBDB, so what's never been done before, like what you said, whether it's like hit a note that's higher than ever before. And then the other thing is how, when you do something, you know, how can you do it 10 times better? Because I think a lot of times people try to do things, just let's just make it better, you know, or let's have like a marginally better. Right. But, you know, but if those are like the, where you set like your cap, then that's the, that's as high as you're going to reach, right? But if you say like, how can we do this exponentially better? Then I think like it's like you more like shoot for the moon and like end up in the stars, right? So I think it's like whether it's something you're already doing, you know, challenge like yourself to do it in an order of magnitude better, right? You know, everything that you do, or do something that you know, and this is pretty profound and it's so hard to do that hasn't been hasn't been done before. It's it's funny because I always think about like. I refer to there's a a moment that I refer to as the goosebump moment, like when you're talking about a problem or an issue or a, a thing, and that to me that's when I like I know I've kind of found that one thing that maybe even just disrupt my own thinking, maybe not be the most world changing idea, but I go like ah like that's that would be really cool if and and it's you know it's like shoot for that goosebump moment right because especially you can it's easy to get in the brainstorm and do what you said like. Uh, let's just do it better than we did it last time. I want to do the thing that's like gonna excite me like n- nothing else, and I'll, I'll wait for that. It, like you know, I'll sit in a brainstorm, and if it's an hour has passed, I'm like, let's just keep going a few like a few more minutes, and then suddenly, you know, that, those those clouds disappear. Uh, but it's not about me, Roman. Thank you for uh, <laughs> for <laughs> <What>? joining. Us. <laughs> um, um, how can people find out? By the way, why why the name Patel? Like, what is that? Um, it was Kelly Slater that came up with the name, and it stands for Plan to Take On the World. Oh, 
should have done better research. No. I knew. <laughs> I, knew that. I was I just at the kid because it's also the font <laughs> is like very comic booky. So I'm like, oh, I just I just automatically assumed. Uh, I love your trailers too. They look. I feel like I'm watching. I'm gonna go see like a big blockbuster movie. Okay. Or like it's like Independence Day. Like when you say that you guys do work in sort of like big, uh, almost hyperbole. Your your trailers definitely reflect that. Where Thank I feel you. like, oh, like when's that movie coming out? Okay, summer 2017. <laughs> yeah, I mean we're really big fans of like music festivals also. Yeah. And like if you ever guys have ever seen those Tomorrowland music mm-hmm. festivals, yeah, oh, yeah. that get like 200 million views. Yeah, we're like, how do we create that for business? <laughs> By the way, speaking of which, me and Ryan Brenner from your team, yeah, we when we met. We talked about music for about almost two hours. It was like, because we were at South By, and it was like, oh, who's performing? And then it just went down a rabbit hole. I talked to him last week, and we started talking about more, like the latest albums that have come out. So I totally get like the how that could ring true through your organization. Like, hey, we're fans of like putting on a show, in a sense. Yeah, and I mean, look at Ryan. Like, he's like a, actually, you need, he, le- he leads membership and partnerships for us. Shout out to Ryan. He heads up our, mm-hmm. uh, he's out in New York. And we work out of the Red Bull offices there, which is fun, too. Oh, so awesome. If you ever want to come by. Um, and he's like, we were friends first. You know, he's into art. He's into music. I didn't even know for a long time, like, what he did. We were just friends. And, you know, kind of that led to us kind of working together. So, Very cool. You know, I'm always looking for those kind of people also, like, that you can start with friendships and then kind of see what kind of bonds, like, kind of get created through that. I love that. So we all can do hot yoga together later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> um, so where can people find out more about Patel, Worlds, Roman, you know, where, uh, where where's the onlinings uh, that people can go to? Yeah, I mean, um, this is really good timing. We got Worlds, our inaugural. So this is for Worlds. This is Chapter 1. Um and it's called the Maiden Voyage. You're a storyteller, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it it uh, uh, the story unfolds over ten years, and this is our and which we like to think of as chapters. And so this is obviously chapter one, our Maiden Voyage. Uh, and the reason why we did it is, um, you know, the great greatest thrill about embarking on a Maiden Voyage is that you're going somewhere new, and you're just super excited about where like all these new things that are you're gonna see, and that kind of that rush and that thrill for discovery keeps you going no matter like what challenge or challenges or like what were what rough waters you may encounter and so that's really awesome for us because it's a chance to steer our own destiny that's right great. and they're why they're by like the destiny of the world and so although it's like for us it's our maiden voyage like our mission our intention is actually to help all of everyone part of our community at worlds to help them with their greater journey right amazing i need to up my like metaphor game <laughs> like you've just been spitting some really good metaphors over here. I can't wait to see you know the 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 future the t- like you from ten years from now. Like what what will your perspective on? Hopefully the world hanging be? out with you guys. I know, right? right? Yeah, just having a drink. anniversary. Yeah, we'll the have ten like year that. anniversary. Well, yes. podcast anniversary. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, it's uh, worlds with a z dot us uh, is where anyone in the world could apply. Like we're just looking for. The, the innovators, the dreamers, the rule breakers. Um, and it's happening um, soon, like in a week and a half, August 2nd and 3rd in Los Angeles. Um, and it's going to be full. And it's, we're just super pumped and most excited about just like having all these great people be with us to host Fantastic. them, to be a host, you know? Very cool. Well, thank you, man, for coming by. Oh, no. Thank you, guys. And thank you, Bianca. You did great. Bianca's you. incredible. You're natural. 
Well, you know, it's all those mixed it's up just, ge- genes you got in there. All of the stuff. That's it's too much going genetics on going here, on. Yeah. You just draw on whatever ancestral Every memory at any moment. Like, yeah. you know. Um, everyone, this has been another installment of Innovation Crush, and we will talk to you next time.